Thank you so much, Andrew. And I want to say a word of thanks to all who've been involved with our uh, Beyond Building Planning. Also to Steve and Michelle Minnick, who uh, continue to lead our Beyond Our Walls team, looking for opportunities to invest the Beyond Our Wall funds outside the walls of our church. Thank you all so very much for that. Um, another word of thanks this morning for those uh, who may have <clears throat> brought shoeboxes by. You saw shoeboxes being collected for uh, this wonderful ministry, boxes that will go around the world this week. I want to say a word of thanks to Ken and Denise Jones and all of the volunteers who work with them this week. Thousands of shoeboxes have been processed here um, as you see lining the walls, so these volunteers unload them, they pack them in boxes, and they're uh, ready to go. So thank you to all who've been a part of that wonderful outreach as well. Tonight at 5 p.m., we will have a service here in which we will uh, worship, hear some testimonies, praise the Lord with our friends from Restoration Community Church, our church plant on the south side of town, and we will pray over the uh, shoeboxes tonight. So I hope you can join us tonight from 5 to 6 p.m. Well, thank you again for those of you uh, who are in our sanctuary being here today. Those of you watching online in your homes, welcome. Thank you for joining us for our service. In our one story series this year, we come today to the New Testament book of James. We're getting really close to the end of the New Testament now. The book of James, a little short book of five chapters, written by James the Apostle, who was also the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, that is, son of uh, Mary and Joseph. It's, it's interesting to me that James, who was a leader in the early Christian church, at the very beginning of the letter of James, does not identify himself as James the Lord's brother. He identifies himself this way in verse 1 of the letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who grew up in the same home as Jesus now calls him the Lord Jesus Christ and sees himself as his servant. The book of James is addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, when James speaks of the 12 tribes, it seems to be a reference to Jewish believers. The 12 tribes referring to uh, Jews typically in the Old Testament. Jewish believers in the dispersion. That is, they had been spread out. They had been scattered, likely because of persecution. The book of James emphasizes the nature of genuine faith and how faith is lived out. The book of James is a very practical book that shows us how our faith is to be demonstrated in the world. And this morning I'm reading from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. You'll see the words on your screen. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." 
You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is making the point that real saving faith is shown by works. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Note the words, says he has faith. James is talking about a mere said faith. A person who says, oh yeah, I believe in God. I have faith in God. And James' question is this, can that faith, that mere said faith, can that faith save him? And the implied answer is no. So James is here talking about saving faith. Can that faith save him? He's going to talk about the nature of faith that really brings one into the experience of salvation through faith in Jesus. And he gives an example of faith that does not save, that is insincere uh, or empty faith in verses 15 to 17 when he talks about a brother or sister being poorly clothed and without food. One of you saying, go, I wish you well, and does nothing about his physical needs. And James asks again, what good is that? Suppose for a moment that you were hosting a Bible study in your home, maybe one of our church small groups. And suppose you have a, a, a young couple who started coming to your group, and they've been kind of quiet the first few weeks in your home. You know they've got a couple of children at home, and you know they seem to be struggling. They've been asking for prayer uh, for, uh, about getting a job, jobs. And as you finish your Bible teaching that, that night, you're having a little time of prayer and, and with some hesitance, they say, we really ask that you all would pray for us. Um, we've really been struggling, and would you pray for us to have wisdom? Because we have absolutely no food left in our house. And we've got to look into how to get food stamps this week or find a food bank somewhere because our children... Um, we had a little food for him tonight, but starting in the morning, we have absolutely no food. And our electricity is going to be cut off this week. So would you, would you just pray for us? Now, how would it be if you as the group leader said, we're going to pray right now. We are going to believe God right now to meet your need. We're praying, Lord, provide for them, meet their need. Amen. Now, we're trusting God's going to do it. God bless you. You all have a great week. And at the same time, 
you've got a pantry at home that is packed with more food than you could eat in a month. Your fridge and freezer are packed and you do nothing whatsoever for this young couple that has no food in their house. James is saying, what good is that? Likewise, he's telling us that real saving faith shows and faith without works is dead. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He says it again at the end of this little segment of teaching. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We know what happens to a body when the spirit leaves. When a person dies, the body begins to decay, to deteriorate. Real faith, James says, is shown by corresponding actions, by deeds, by fruit. Real faith has fruit that shows. Now, James needs to stress this because there were many people in his day, as there are in our day, who think they have real saving faith but do not. Jesus warned of this when he spoke of the day of judgment. He said, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, I did this or that for you. He said, you never knew me. James is emphasizing that faith, when it's genuine, genuine saving faith, there will be some fruit, corresponding actions, deeds. Now, the question arises when you study the book of James, is he not contradicting what the Apostle Paul wrote about? If you read the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul is laying out the theology of the gospel, theology of the Christian faith, The Apostle Paul will say, for example, that Abraham was declared righteous by faith alone apart from his works. And yet James is going to say here that faith without works is dead. How do we understand what appears to be a contradiction between these two? We need to understand their teaching in its context. If, if, if Paul and James were teaching at a seminary, Paul would be teaching theology, the theology of the gospel, and James would be teaching ethics, how genuine faith is expressed, how it's lived out. Paul is teaching us that, yes, we're saved by grace through faith alone, and James is teaching us that faith, when it's genuine, is never alone. It has corresponding actions or deeds. James further makes the point that mere belief in the existence of God does not save. And he uses the illustration of demons. He says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, as you read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus uh, Jesus often had encounters with people who were demon-possessed and often cast out the demons. And on occasion, these demons spoke. And it was clear that they recognized who Jesus was, the Holy One of God, the Son of God, and they were afraid of Him. They besought Him, don't send us into the abyss. Don't torment us before the time. They believed in who He was. They recognized, they knew who He was. They knew he was really crucified. They knew he was really raised from the dead. But obviously, they were not and are not saved. 
You can have an intellectual belief in the existence of God and the reality of Jesus Christ as a real historical person who died on the cross. But that belief does not necessarily lead to devotion to Jesus or submission to his lordship, personal embrace of his, his saving lordship, and that is not saving faith. Our world is filled with people who claim to be Christians but do not live under Jesus' saving lordship. Do not honor his word. Do not walk in his ways. James is saying that mere belief in the existence of God does not save. And then James begins to give us some examples. And he goes to the Old Testament. And he makes the point that Old Testament believers were justified by faith that was expressed by actions. You know, sometimes people ask the question, how were people saved? Were people saved? And if so, how were they saved in the Old, Old Testament? And I think the answer is they were saved by grace through faith. Their faith looking forward to the salvation that would be provided through the Messiah Jesus, just as we are saved by grace through faith that looks back on the completed work of Christ on the cross. It's notable to me that James, when he's talking about saving faith in Jesus, actually uses as his examples two people from the Old Testament. That tells me that the Old Testament has a lot to teach us believers. And he uses first Abraham. And James writes again, as we read a moment ago, was not Abraham our father? Because Abraham was considered the, the, the great father of Jews, father of the Jewish faith. Was he not justified, that is declared righteous by God, by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active, active along with his work and completed by his works and the scriptures fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was demonstrated, and it was demonstrated in quite a serious test of faith. God had spoken to Abraham, and he had said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you offspring that cannot be numbered, and I'm going to establish my covenant with your son Isaac. It's through uh, Isaac that your offspring are going to come his offspring after him. And, and yet Abraham was told by God to offer his son Isaac on the altar as a sacrifice. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, gives us a little more insight into this test of faith. We read there, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, that is the promises of future offspring that would come through Isaac, he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham's got this dilemma now. His offspring are going to come through Isaac. He's got the word of God, the promise of God on that. And now he's being told to kill his son. How does he reconcile that in his mind? Here's how he reconciled it. He considered that God was 
able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham was credited by God as having faith in the resurrection from the dead. God had entered into a covenant with Abraham that he was through his descendants going to bring salvation to all the world, ultimately through Jesus. Now Abraham is exercising faith that this God whom he believed could and would even raise the dead. This is one of the greatest shadows in the Old Testament pointing to the substance who is Jesus Christ. Because many years later, God would give his only begotten son as a sacrifice on the cross. The difference is God's son would be killed. He would be offered. And on the third day, he would be raised from death. And the apostle Paul could write, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he would also write that it is those who are of faith who are the offspring of Abraham. Your faith in God who raises the dead brings you into the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Now, Abraham could not possibly have known all that his test of faith would result in, all that it would mean. But he's an example, James says, of faith that acts, faith that shows. Then James gives an, another example, a second example, someone far less well-known than Abraham, the example of a woman named Rahab or Rahab. James says in the same way, that is, in the same way as Abraham, acting on his faith, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Now the account of this is in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And in Joshua 2, um, Joshua has sent messengers into Jericho to spy out the land before the Israels possessed that land. And the spies encounter a prostitute named Rahab, and she agrees to hide them. She protects them. She doesn't turn them over to the king so that they would be destroyed. And why does she do that? Because she says to them, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. The book of Hebrews, again, in chapter 11, gives us a little more insight into Rahab's faith when we read, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, that is, the rest of the people of Jericho, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab, acting on her faith that the God of Israel was the true and living God, protected, spared the lives of the, the Israelite spies, Therefore, when they took the land, she and her family were saved, and they went and lived among, amongst the Israelites. A remarkable thing is when we read the genealogy of Jesus years later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, we read these words. This long genealogy preceding Joseph, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. Commentators agree that this is the Rahab from Jericho, the one about whom James writes, 
regarding her faith. And she's now in the genealogy of Christ as the great, great grandmother of the great King David. Could she have possibly known what her act of faith, protecting those spies, risking her life because she believed that their God was the true and living God, could she have possibly known? I don't think so. But when I think about what God has done through these acts of faith, even years after the event, it reminds us that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or think when we take steps of faith in order to glorify his name. You know, for you and me, maybe it's something as simple as, as, as witnessing to a neighbor or offering to pray with a coworker or giving money to someone who's in need, taking some step of faith, doing something you think God wants you to do, even though it may feel like a bit of a risk or a bit of a challenge. Teaching of scripture is that when we act in faith on what God calls us to do, the ripple effects may be far more extensive and far reaching than we could ever even imagine. Now, James' point in all of this is that real faith acts. It has fruit. Yes, we're saved by grace through faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone, as many have said. And before we leave the little book of James this morning, just very briefly, I'd like to step back and take a, a look at the whole five chapters of James and note five ways that a believer's faith, when genuine, may be called into action according to the teaching of the book of James. Think of it as five expressions of genuine faith in the book of James. And there are more than five, but I'll quickly just touch on five ways that the faith, the real faith of a believer, should be increasingly being shown as our faith is lived out. One is perseverance through trials. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James is equating trials of various kinds with the testing of our faith. And he's calling us to remain steadfast, to persevere. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Your trial may be remaining faithful in your marriage. Your trial may be doing your work, whatever work you do, as unto the Lord. Your trial may be being called to love someone who's difficult to love. Your trial may be forgiving someone who's hard to forgive. Perseverance is presented to us by James means abiding under the will, the way, the word, and the lordship of God when we face tests and trials. Number two, an expression of genuine faith in James is self-control. Self-control and the control of our anger. Believers are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of man does not bring about the righteous purposes of God. 
Another expression of genuine faith is the control of our tongue, the control of our words. James writes at length about this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his religion is, is worthless. James is pointing us to spiritual maturity, self-control, control of anger, control of our words, ways our faith is to be being lived out. Thirdly, expressions of faith in the book of James care for the poor and needy. James echoes what Old Testament prophets wrote about, what Jesus taught about, what the early church did. He notes that religion that's pure and undefiled includes visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Writes about the fact that God's chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. A fourth way faith is expressed in the book of James is by humility. Who's wise and understanding among you who writes by his good conduct, let him show it in the meekness of wisdom. The fourth chapter of James, James is writing about the fact that believers are not to, to, to love the world, the world system around us. And he notes that God gives us grace, but God opposes the proud and gives his grace to those who are humble. Growing faith is expressed in growing humility. And then fifth, an expression of genuine faith in the book of James is a life of prayer. He writes, is anyone afflicted? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. An expression of growing, genuine, living faith is a growing life of prayer. So what is the foundation of this faith? James is not just saying, try harder, work harder, do more. James is talking about how our faith in the Lord Jesus is expressed. He defines it in chapter 2 and verse 1 as the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same faith the Apostle Paul wrote about when he wrote, for it is by grace that you're saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. It's not your works that bring you salvation. It's the grace of God and the faith that takes hold of that grace, which is a gift of God. James is teaching us that faith, it shows, it's expressed in the way we live. In the beautiful book of James tells us how it's expressed. It's not faith in our deeds. It's not faith in ourselves. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith that God is on our side, even though he is. It's the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith that rests on his finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so, as we come to the end of this very brief overview of this important little book in the one-story plan of God, let's ask ourselves this question. Is God calling me to some step of obedience because of my faith in Jesus? Is God calling you to take some step of faith because of your faith in Him? Let's pray about that today.
Father, we come in the name of the one in whom our faith, faith rests, Jesus Christ. We pray for a greater work of your spirit in us so that our lives would better reflect the faith that you have given us by your grace. That our lives would point others to the one who died to save us and has been raised from the dead. And Father, this morning I pray you would renew the faith of your people, that you would strengthen our faith. And for the one watching or among us, Lord, who has never truly embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who has had just a mere belief in you, God, but not a saving faith, would you call that one today to not only believe in your existence, but receive you personally as Savior and Lord? And we ask this in your great, great name. Amen.